Welcome to Christian Renewal Church Sunday Sermon. Thanks for tuning into our series, Kingdom Come, based out of our study on the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. For more information about this sermon and other resources, visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org. So we're in part three of our series um, called Kingdom Come. We're working through the Beatitudes from the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, um, which is the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' longest sermon. And we're working off this idea that, that Herschel Hobbes, a commentator, said that um, the Sermon on the Mount is the constitution of the kingdom. That this is the nature, the character of this coming kingdom that we're living for, that Jesus initiated but ultimately, as we look at the Beatitudes, what we're really looking at is the character of Jesus. Jesus is giving us his own value system. He's imparting to us his own standards. When he says, blessed are the meek, he's He's modeling. He will model what meekness is. And so as we look at the Beatitudes, it's a unique way to look at it, but it's absolutely true. We're actually examining the very value system of our Lord. We're examining the own, the characteristic that, that he pronounces. These are the characteristics which I love and value and admire. These are the characteristics which will be promoted in this new society, this new kingdom which will invade the earth, this new people group which will cover the earth. Um, This is the way that they'll live. And that's really very important for you. That's very important that we stop and consider what he means by that. So let's pray over the word. We're in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 is our verse this morning. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your power. We ask that you would speak to us this morning. We open our hearts. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. We want to be like you, Jesus. We want to know your kindness and your goodness. Give us a heart for all people, God. Every people group. Every color, every gender, every socioeconomic class. We want to see people from all over. Every every person on this island experience the goodness, the beauty of Jesus. Break our hearts for him, God. Mold us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, one thing that they should teach you in marriage counseling, what they don't, is that you need to talk about what kind of TV shows your partner watches, okay? Because my wife is on World War II 24-7, and it drives me nuts, okay? And so when we get a divorce, if we get a divorce, you will know it's because of World War II is the reason that we got a divorce was World War II. But I caught her the other day watching uh, something on the... Um, the Greco-Roman world. I sat down. I finished my homework. You know what I'm doing? I finished my homework. I sat down, and we're watching Greece. And I'm like, "Praise the Lord! It's not World War II. It's Greece." Woo! And the show had a little section on Alexander the Great, and I was thinking about Alexander the Great this week as I really meditated on the fact that this is Jesus giving us character. This is Jesus giving us what it means to lead, to live, to reflect his kingdom well. And I was considering the fact that Jesus lived in the after effects of Alexander the Great, the after effects of Hellenization, right? Like of of Greek culture permeating the world through the conquest of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great died, you know, some 300 years before Jesus, but still the reflections of that culture. Um, and Alexander the Great's um, father was Philip of Macedon. Do you guys remember this? Philip of Macedon, he was known for like his conquest, for conquering. Um, but but Philip uh, wanted Alexander to have the, the best education. And so Philip hired Aristotle to educate Alexander the Great. And so um, Aristotle was studying under Plato. Do you remember the line? It's Socrates, who's my favorite. It's funny. And then... Um, 
Plato and then Aristotle. And so Aristotle thought that he was going to take over Plato's school. Plato had a school. Plato passed away, and he thought that he would be promoted to be the new head, and he wasn't. And when he wasn't, um, Philip of Macedon asked Aristotle to come and train, um, teach um, Alexander the Great. And so that's what he did. And Alexander the Great and Aristotle have this interesting relationship that they're writing each other even years after Aristotle's no longer his instructor. And so historians tell us that that Alexander the Great slept every night with a um, a dagger under his pillow and a copy of Homer's Iliad. Um, that that was his favorite book. So a dagger and a copy of Homer's Iliad. And I had a Bible professor once who um, was teaching us through some of these ideas, and he said that that to him and to a lot of historians, um, that was a reflection of his father being this military conqueror. Um, and, and Philip of Macedon was actually in a theater when one of his guards, his own guards, stabbed him with a, with a dagger. And so, in one sense, you see Philip in Alexander and that he's sleeping with a knife under his pillow ready to cut anybody who would come at him. And in another sense, you see, uh, you see Aristotle flowing through Alexander the Great because he's got a copy of Iliad that he travels with. He brings everywhere on all of his conquests. He's always reading. And, and that, Alexander the Great, is the epitome of what the Greco-Roman world viewed as leadership, viewed as successful, viewed as strong. And so Alexander the Great led with this incredible intellect, and he led with the strength of his arm. History says that he was a really handsome man as well. That never hurts, you know what I'm saying? Um, so I thought this week, what a contrast you get between the leadership and life of Jesus and what the culture that Jesus lived in thought was leadership, where Alexander leads with intellect and leads with strength. And Jesus, with the sake of oversimplifying, Jesus leads with heart and Jesus leads with grace and with kindness. Jesus is obviously, we would say Jesus was, um, is brilliant. We think Jesus is omniscient and Jesus knows everything, but he doesn't present himself the way that Aristotle presents himself. Jesus's teaching is not Aristotle's metaphysics. He's not trying to philosophize and, and woo people with his brilliance. He's constantly, and that's this whole sermon that we're looking at, he's constantly trying to pierce the heart. He's after the heart. He's after how you really live and who you really are. And he leads with kindness. Jesus is bringing a kingdom, yes, and his kingdom will be much more successful than Alexander the Great's. But he is not bringing it with military conquest. He's bringing it with an expression of agape love. And that's different, man. That's just different than the culture of his day. And so our text today is Matthew 5, chapter 5, and it reads this. um, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that seems to be a quote from Psalm 37, 11, which says this. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. And John Calvin said this. He said, we have to be sheep if we want to be counted among his flock. Have to be sheep if you want to be counted among his flock. Meek is a strange word. It's not a word that we use in our common vocabulary. Um, so I had to, I think we have to look, do a little word study and try to understand exactly what that word means. Um, it's from a Greek word, proos, which, which, um, lexicons are translating as, um, 
constantly as either gentle, meek, or humble. And so the King James translation that many of us grew up on always translates that word as um, meek. It always says meek. But the ESV, like which I'm using today, uh, a quarter... Um, a quarter meek, a quarter gentle, and half humble. So it's kind of a hard word to really grab the context of what it means in English. And and the word meek in English that we're trying to translate it with um, is translated as mild, submissive, moderate. Um, it carries that kind of idea. That's that's again the idea of being submissive, being gentle. That's that's not a conqueror. That's someone who's led by kindness. Um, but Matthew chapter 21 verse 5 quotes Zechariah 9 9, which is a prophecy about the coming of Jesus. And he says, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey. That's that word pros, humble. Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. The same word for gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus describes himself as meek. He describes himself as gentle and lowly. The prophecy, Zechariah, describes Jesus as gentle and lowly. And I want to show you just a few more passages. I know I'm a little, like, probably jumping around too much today, but just follow me. So Peter, in addressing the women of the church, he says, Let your adorning be of the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle, that's the same word, of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious. And to bring you back to Ephesians 4, I'm taking you back a couple months in our series. Um, Paul says this, I therefore a prisoner, do you remember this passage? A prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness. The same thing happening there, humility and gentleness. Same thing in Galatians chapter 5, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit, it's the same word. Galatians 6, when he says you should restore the following in a spirit of gentleness. So what I just showed you is that from the life of Jesus, we have Jesus elevating this idea of meekness and gentleness. That Paul says that gentleness and meekness are a fruit of the Spirit, and it's the way in which you should handle controversy with gentleness and meekness. And then Peter says the same thing, that gentleness and meekness should be a um, kind of a mantra of the church. And so... Right there, we, 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 or we already come to the idea that meekness is not passive because neither Paul, Peter, or Jesus were passive. And meekness is not anti-confrontational because Jesus is constantly in confrontation. But in confrontation, they're still caring about in kindness. In trouble and suffering and trial, they still live in graciousness and humility. So it's not passive. It's not, Jesus is not saying that you need to be passive and sit on your hands. But even in the hardest conflicts of your life, when you're having family breakdowns, you know what I'm saying, relational conflict, you still should operate in meekness. Meekness. What is meekness? I was really interested this week as I tried to study this idea that Nietzsche kept coming up. Do you remember the philosopher Nietzsche? He's the one who declared God is dead. Um, that that philosopher. Um, Nietzsche is also the one who came up with this idea of the Uberman, the, the Superman, um, which Hitler played with. Hitler loved the idea of the Uberman, and he was creating this new race. And Hitler actually passed Nietzsche's writings on to Stalin, um, on to Mussolini, and they were all playing with these ideas of there were there could be this 
this superior Superman. And as I, as I read, I kept running into this reading this week, that Nietzsche hated this passage. He hated this comment from Jesus that we should be meek because he said that the church actually teaching people to be meek and kind, that we're teaching people not to be aggressive and not to conquer, that we're coming against this idea that you should run all over people in order to be successful. And in Nietzsche's mind, that hindered people. It's very interesting. There is a conflict of ideals um, from the life of Jesus and this this kind of what I'm getting to idea of the world as being a dog-eat-dog world. And if you're going to be successful, you better learn to eat that kind of idea. It's completely conflicting, and Nietzsche knew it. So, point one, this is going to be pretty easy today, but, but number one, I think, I think the goal of the worldly, and I'm using that to mean the goal of what, what your flesh and the enemy wants us to pursue, um, is, is to conquer. I think the goal of the world is to train you that this is a dog eat dog world and you better conquer. You better prove yourself to somebody. You better strive after something. You've got to declare to your culture, to your community, your friends, family and friends, how great you are and how powerful you are. Where, where the meek actually seek, seek to value other people. And so the world says, conquer everybody, dog eat dog. And that's really, I mean, we've circled this thing for a while, but that's really the idea of survival of the fittest, of evolutionary theory, is that the strong, only the strong survive, that you need to be strong in the sense that it's dog eat dog. You've got to compete. You've got to wrestle. And that's not the, that's not the value system that you get from Jesus. They say dog eat dog, and Jesus says value, love, kindness, graciousness. That every being, even those who are mentally, physically, any kind of, any kind of disability, every being is valuable. Not dog eat dog. You don't run all over those who are disabled. You show them extra value and extra care and extra compassionate. And, and those in your community who are less fortunate, you don't stomp on them in order to elevate yourself and prove how intellectually superior you are. You show extra grace and extra compassion. And the church cares for the stranger. The church cares for the poor and the broken and the church historically I've had to read for some of my schooling I've had to read about the early church and the early church loved to care for the widow the early church saw themselves as the person who who cared for the immigrant the the traveler the poor the early church was 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 about uplifting the broken not stomping on them not not stomping on them and and there's there's a there's a value contradiction that that comes to play the worldly, the, the worldly systems teach us to strive, to compete, to prove. I'm not saying, this is where I had to think through this carefully. I'm not saying that you should be, run a sloppy business. I'm not saying that you shouldn't, you shouldn't strive to be excellent. I'm not saying that if you're a business owner, you shouldn't serve your customer with excellence. If you're an employer, you shouldn't, you shouldn't strive to, um, be an excellent business. But the striving to be excellence is a striving to love Jesus, to honor his character, and to serve and love people well. That striving is not a striving to compete and devalue those around you. We don't have to strive to be um, the elite. We we strive to honor Jesus, and we strive to love people. And now that looks the same outwardly, because in our, in our work life, we should have an incredibly strong work ethic. We should have better work ethic than anyone in the world. But our work ethic is because Jesus has been good to us, we do want to be financially prosperous because we want to bless people. We want to give, but we're we're not striving in order to conquer and devalue others. We're not trying to prove anything to anybody. 
We're, we're striving to love and we're striving to, to be led by, by grace. So I guess what I'm saying is that you should hone your craft. You should work hard in, in the, in the workplace. Um, but you sh- the, the, the godly, the meek, allow God to promote them in his timing. The godly allow God to lead. And that's what Calvin meant, that, that in order to be of his flock, you've got to be a sheep. That the godly, the, the meek, they, they see God as their provider. It's not a dog-eat-dog world, but it's a we're sheep from a good, good father who loves us and who's protecting and providing us. And so, yes, I'm going to work with excellence. I'm going to love people, but I'm letting God lead me. God's my provision. So again, if you're gifted, say you're an incredibly gifted salesman, be gifted, man. Do your thing. Bless people. Like work hard. But if you lose your business one day, you didn't lose your value. And, and your gifting is not the means of your provision. The means of your provision is the good father who's leading a flock, the good shepherd who's leading his people. And that's a, that's a, that's a conflicting worldview from dog eat dog. I'm going to chew up and spit up anybody who comes at me. It's a little different. And so again, Christianity teaches personal responsibility. Paul, Paul says to the Thessalonians, if you don't work, you don't eat. Meaning, meaning that, that, that you're, you're not allowed to not work. You're not allowed to not be involved. That, that we, we do teach personal responsibility. Um, but there's also an element of we're gracious to those who are struggling. We also realize that our faith is a faith of grace, that none of us earned anything we got. And, and I have to remind myself of this, so don't feel me being condemning right now, but let me say this to all of us. If you are successful, you're not successful because of how great you are. You're successful because God has blessed you. You're successful because the giftings that you have are from God Almighty, and you ought to use Use those giftings to advance and incorporate his kingdom into the earth. You're not successful because you're all that. You're successful because God blessed you and he loves you. And we've got to remind ourselves of that even as we grow and even as we succeed. Number two, um, the worldly need to be heard. They demand that you listen to them. But the meek listen. The, the meek are quick to listen. And so James in chapter 1, verse 19 through 21 of his letter says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, wickedness, and receive with what? With meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Hobbes, again, the commentator we quoted earlier, says that this idea really communicates that someone is teachable. To be meek means that you're teachable, that you're moldable, that you listen, that you're not quick to speak. I want to comment here because I think this is important. The idea of being slow to speak does not promote introversion. Although I would be very grateful if it did. If the Bible put up introversion as godly, I would say, hallelujah. But that's, that's not quite what's going on. It's not about word count, okay? So my wife talks a lot, word count to word count, a lot more than me. Like, and that's natural. Women talk more than men. That doesn't mean that she's slow to, slow to speak. That doesn't mean that she's, that she's not slow to speak. So it's not about how much you talk. It's about in moments of conflict, do you listen or talk? 
Being slow to speak is not like I'm a social butterfly, so I need to learn to quit being a social butterfly. That's wonderful if God blessed you that way. My wife wants to tell me about everything, and that's not a problem. Um, but but she, Haley, honors this text and that when there's a conflict, she's not trying to prove a point. She's not fast to speak. If we get ourselves in a relational situation that's a little sticky, she honors this passage, even though she is a social butterfly, and that she's not trying to drive her point right away. That oftentimes when we have conversations about sticky situations, she'll say, I don't, I need to, I need to listen a little more. I might not, I don't, I don't think I fully understand that yet. And that's slow to speak. It's, it's not, it's not a big thumbs up to all the introverts because you can be introverted in a bully in conversation. You could be an introverted and still need to prove your point. I'm preaching that myself now. You can be introverted and be arrogant. And in the same sense, you can be extroverted and slow to speak because slow to speak is about how you respond to conflict, how you respond in social environments. And so the, the meek are not always looking to prove their point, And let me tell you why, because the meek are still after the heart. It's not, we don't, we don't live lives that are 24 seven debate. I'm not trying to drive my points home every time I sit down to have a conversation with someone. I'm actually trying to nudge them towards Jesus. And sometimes I let things slide in conversation. I don't need to correct everything you said if I can find a back door to actually pick at your heart. What, what I'm after is your heart responding to the goodness of God. And so the meek are slow to speak. The meek embrace wisdom and conversation. Sometimes don't speak at all. Sometimes the meek understand that what you're doing right now is venting. And this actually isn't an opportunity for me to encourage you. I'll just listen and let you do your thing. And tomorrow when you realize that you're an idiot, then we can talk. And so I guess what I'm saying is that the meek really try to walk in wisdom. The, the meek really, they're not just trying to prove a point, just trying to, and, and anyway, I'll leave that there. The worldly demand, <laughs> the worldly demand to be heard. And the meek patiently listen, apply wisdom, and they, they're constantly at the heart, encouraging, nudging people to love Jesus, to see his beauty and his worth. It's not about being the, the, the lawyer proving everything all the time. It's about, I'm trying to, you can be wrong about your little opinions. As long as you come to Jesus, he'll work out your little opinions. I think the meek in conflict are after the heart and they listen and they respond with wisdom in a calculated manner. They are in those moments. I've caught myself in, this isn't a pat on my own back because the Lord knows I need grace. But a couple times in conversations this week that feel heated, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to listen, Holy Spirit, like what? Do you know what I mean by that? I'm in a conflict and I'm not trying to bully forward and push my agenda, but I'm trying to listen. Like, Holy Spirit, how do I handle this? What, what's going on in this moment? The meek realize that they need guidance from the shepherd because it's not dog eat dog. I'm not trying to eat you. I'm trying to be led by my shepherd in our conversation. The meek, the meek are really good followers. They're not trying to demand their, their presence, their leadership. So again, a little bit different of a nuance. And the last thing that, that, that I think flows out of this passage and flows into the Sermon on the Mount is that the meek, um, that, that the world really teaches you that you should retaliate, retaliate. I had to get that word out. Retaliate. And the meek are not after vengeance. Sometimes the meek want to be. You know what I'm saying? But the, the meek submit that vengeance thing to the, to the scriptures and we learn to turn the other cheek. Jesus says when someone strikes you on your right cheek, you should turn to them your left. That is not natural for me, okay? When someone, when someone physically assaults you, you turn the other cheek. When someone 
verbally assault you, you should turn the other cheek. The meek are learning to not seek vengeance because Romans tells us that vengeance is the Lord's, that the Lord will restore, the Lord will redeem, the Lord will bring justice. Um, and so First Peter 2.9 says, this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. So sometimes the meek suffer unjustly. First Corinthians 6, again, we talked last week about Paul's um, just um, complete confrontation to the Corinthian church says this to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. So the Corinthian church, they're suing each other and they're going to court um, trying to sue one another. And Paul says this to the Corinthian church. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong in the fraud, even your own brothers. He's saying, why are you going to court with other Christians? Why not take one on the right cheek? Why not take a punch? And so that, that's a strange Christian posture that we have to learn, that I have to learn, is that the Christian posture is have one on me. I, I, you, you can have a mistake on me. I'm not going to constantly need to retaliate. I'm not constantly needing to respond. And that's, that's, that's hard in day to day life, but that is a Christian posture that you turn the other cheek, that you, and A.T. Robertson in his study of this word, um, he says that, that this is, and, and we talk about this a lot, but this is gentleness of strength. Um, and what he means by that is that, again, meek does not mean that you're weak, but it means that at times you don't operate in your strength. You submit your strength to your greater value system, which is the kingdom of God. And so, again, if someone pops me on the right cheek, it doesn't mean I can't take them. It means I'm not responding. I'm submitting my strength to my greater value system, which is the coming of a new kingdom. And so when I'm in a conversation and someone cuts me sarcastically, my lack of response is not because I'm not witty enough to hang with you. I can hang with you. My lack of response is because I'm submitting my sarcasm to my greater value system, which says that kindness is actually the way that this kingdom comes. And so Psalm 37, 1 through 5, again, that's what most, most scholars think that Jesus is really quoting here. Um, it says this, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. And so the, what, what the psalm is, is driving here is that the meek who inherit the earth, they're not vengeful. They're not after vengeance because they actually trust that God is a God of justice who will bring redemption. And so we could take it back to the first point. The, the, the meek are, they don't feel the need to conquer, to, to dominate the earth because they believe that God is actually bringing the kingdom to the earth and that God is their shepherd and their provider. I don't need to dominate you in order for me to be taken care of because God's going to take care of me. And when you act in evil towards me, I don't need to respond in evil because God's the just judge of the earth. I'm not judge. And so the meek are actually the those who walk in faith, the meek, I don't need to be vengeful because God's the God of justice. That's his thing. I don't need to worry and fret about whether or not I'm going to be taken care of. That's my shepherd's thing. And so the meek are actually the people who live in faith, who live in trust, who really, really believe that God is a good father who will provide and take care of them. So in conclusion, I'm going to wrap it up for you. 
Ultimately, what we're really after, what we're really pursuing is Christ-likeness. What we're really trying to do here is to understand the person of Jesus. What was Jesus like? Remember even the disciples trying to drive away the kids from him as he sat down with them. And do you remember he's, he's in conflict, but he's like defending the broken. He's defending a woman caught in adultery. There's, there's something different about his leadership. And it's that he's leading with heart. He's leading with compassion. He's leading with grace. We don't believe that he was intellectually deficient. We believe that he was absolutely like omniscient, knew everything, yet he doesn't always have to present himself as intellectually superior. Because if I'm constantly presenting myself as intellectually superior in every conversation, all I'm doing is demeaning my neighbor and I'm never getting under and encouraging and uplifting my neighbor. So it's not being meek is not a, not an encouragement to be dumb. Like if you're smart, be smart, but you don't have to bully everyone in every conversation. And if you do so, you're actually going to rob yourself of your own fruitfulness. Same thing with physical strength. It's not the fact that you're strong is not a bad thing. The fact that you, I mean, I like boxing as much as the next man. The fact that you can box or wrestle, that's not a bad thing. But if you're constantly trying to, 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 to intimidate people, if you're trying to intimidate people with your strength, you're never actually going to be able to lead them into the new kingdom. And so you submit all that stuff to meekness. I know some of y'all are strong with me, you know what I'm saying? I worked out in fourth grade and then I'm, it's, I'm still, I'm still reaping the fruit of it. That's what this body's from. In middle school, I did some sit-ups one time. So success for us is not this Alexander the Great style of I'm going to prove my dominance. Success is to look, to sound, to feel like Jesus, man. Success is when people in this community encounter me, I hope they are like, what in the world was that? They feel the presence of God. They encounter something different. I hope that, I pray, and I'm still growing too, I hope my kids remember me as as strong. Yes, I I tell Haley all the time, like I, I know this is weird, but I don't. I want my kids to remember the, the hardness of my hands. I remember my, my stepfather raised me. His hard hands worked very hard. It was a hard working man. And I, and I still remember the hardness of his hands, but that he wasn't hard in heart. And so I want them to view their dad as, as strong. I want them to see me as someone who works very hard, but I want them to remember me as gentle, as kind and compassionate. And I pray that I'm growing in that. So the the meek reign in the desire to be the dominant. They reign in the desire to be the superior and the elite. They're not they're not trying to conquer the earth. The meek believe that Jesus conquers the earth and then he gives it to us. The meek believe that Jesus conquers the earth and then because of justification, because that Jesus died, because Jesus was perfectly sinless and he died the death of a sinner for on my behalf, I become clean because the clean one died for me. He substituted. He took my place because of that cross on Calvary, because of that blood. He has actually made a way for me to be adopted into the family of God. And that's what justification was about. That blood was about my 
my adoption. That blood was about taking me, an orphan, and grafting me into the family of God. And because of my adoption, I'm not striving to conquer the earth. Because of my adoption, I'm just waiting patiently for the day that I inherit it. I'm waiting patiently for all the blessings that God has stored up for me. I'm trusting the fact that I serve a perfectly good father. I inherit I inherit blessing. I don't have to strive and fight for it. We inherit the earth. The kingdom is coming. We're not trying to dominate people for it. We're just receiving what Jesus has bought for us. The meek inherit. Success is godliness in a world filled with hatred. Success is kindness and love in a world filled with arrogance. Success is embodying the new kingdom in the face of the world systems. It's being gracious, compassionate. Our Jesus, our King, remember, was born in a manger and was prophesied that he would be the lowly one who would come on a donkey's colt. That he came low, meek, humble. That's the King that we serve. He is, he is not arrogant. He is not the proud one. He's not trying to push. He's this perfectly loving and kind King. And this kingdom reflects the character of our King. And so we as a people now must learn to be meek. Thank you for listening to this Sunday sermon. Subscribe to our podcast for new messages weekly. Visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org for more resources. We hope you have a blessed week.